Good evening, Calvary. How are you tonight? I am six foot five, but I am not Pastor Skip. He is, uh, if you're not aware, he is preaching eight different messages this week at the Billy Graham Training Center, The Cove in North Carolina. And uh, so he sends his love and he sent me in his place. And so I apologize, but next week he'll be back. Um, I, uh, you know, I was thinking about our, our pastor this week and I just had this thought, you know, as he is teaching in North Carolina, people, he, he does this periodically and people will pay hundreds or thousands of dollars to fly from wherever they live in the world and come to the cove to hear our pastor. And we get to hear him every week. Isn't that amazing? So I think, I think uh, we, should, we should just always take a moment to honor those in, in authority over us, spiritual leadership over us. And so we just want to say thank you, Jesus, for Pastor Skip. Amen? Um, Pastor Skip has had a, a big imp impact on my life. In fact, I've been teaching uh, since I was 16 years old. I've been teaching the Bible when I, I was at a small church here in Albuquerque with a little youth group, and it was just a few of my friends, and I was somehow appointed to be the one to teach the Bible every week. And so when I was 16, I started teaching, and that kind of propelled me into the, my, my future, where God would lead me eventually. Uh, I, I eventually went to school of ministry here at Calvary and then became the middle school youth pastor. In fact, some of my former middle school students are in the crowd, which is so cool. I love that. And so we did that. Jen and I did that for five years. And then in 2009, God moved us to Tennessee, Clarksville, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville. And we planted a church called Awaken Church. And we did that for a little over 11 years. And then 2020, as though it didn't have enough oddities and transition, God led us to begin praying about something new, something past our church. And we just had never entertained the thought because we just loved where we were. And it was in, our church was in the best season it had ever been. And and so we started praying obediently because uh, although it was much more comfortable to stay there, you guys know the life of faith is not building a life of comfort. It's about building a life of obedience, right? And then so we, we started praying and um, God eventually at the end of 2020 led us to move back here to Albuquerque. And uh, that, there's, there's kind of a cool story. If you don't mind, I'll just take a quick minute and share it. If you do mind, I'm going to share it anyway. So... Um, you know, it was, it was really amazing how this all transpired. And like I said, Jen and I had just never thought of, of anything past Tennessee. We just loved it so much. And as, as we began to pray and fast and just sense this stirring of the Holy Spirit to do something, we, uh, we, we sought counsel. We, we just we wanted to make sure we were making the right decision. And so we, we spent a long time, half at least half of 2020, praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. And um, we finally came to September of last year, and we just knew where we were supposed to be. And so I talked with my board of directors there at our church, and we set a final date, the end of 2020, for me to transition out and turn the church over to someone else. And we began the process of transitioning it over and finding my replacement, which was this huge emotional ordeal for our family. And 
And so we, we, we got the ball rolling, but meanwhile, nobody here on staff at Calvary knew that that was happening. And I had no idea what we were moving here to Albuquerque for. I didn't have a job offer. I don't have a college degree. I, we were very curious about how we were going to make money. It turns out making coffee, although that is a, an enjoyable thing for me, isn't great for a family of five to live off of. And so we just were praying. And so one Wednesday, uh, a couple months before we were, we were supposed to leave Clarksville, Nate, Pastor Nate from Calvary, called me. Out of the blue, he called me and he said, hey, Kevin, um, I don't know if you heard, but we've had one of our executive leaders who has just moved out of state, and one of our pastors is taking a job elsewhere, and we've been trying to figure out who would take this spot. And I just thought I'd call you and just, I know it's like a shot in the dark. Would you pray about moving to Albuquerque? And there was like this long pause and I was like, we are moving to Albuquerque. And he was like, what do you mean you're moving to Albuquerque? And I was like, well, I obviously have a long backstory to tell you, but we're leaving and we'll be there in January. And so obviously God has put this whole thing together and I could spend the whole hour tonight just, yeah, we can celebrate that. And I could spend the whole hour telling you hundreds of ways that God confirmed to Jen and I that we were heading in the right direction. But really what I want to do is just help you understand that even in the moments when God speaks loud and clear, we all just as human beings have the tendency to forget that God ever spoke to begin with. And so I want to just share with you a few thoughts that God has been speaking to me. I, I, I love when I get to share a message that I wasn't originally planning on sharing as a message. I love when they're personal. Like God spoke this to me in my time with him months ago. And then a few weeks after that, Pastor Skip asked me if I'd teach tonight. And I just immediately thought, I, I, know, I know exactly what I need to share. This is a message that God really, has really been speaking to me. And it's about the idea of fighting forgetfulness. In fact, if you would, if you got a Bible, I know you do because you're the Wednesday crowd, turn to Genesis chapter 12. It's amazing that we can forget when God intervenes in our lives. I was thinking about it just a couple weeks ago with the balloon fiesta. I hadn't, I hadn't been among the balloons and seen the balloon fiesta in like 13 or 14 years since we had lived here last so this year, our first year back in Albuquerque, I was like a little kid with the balloon fiesta. And I mean, mass ascension, yes, we'll be there. Glodio, sure, how do we get in? Bike ride under the balloons, absolutely, we'll do it. We were at the balloon fiesta so many times during that one week just trying to soak it all in. And then I was just kind of caught off guard at how few of my friends were actually there. And then I started remembering, well, when you grow up around it, and you see it all the time, it just kind of becomes like, oh yeah, it must be October, there's, there's all the balloons again, you know? And I get it, I get it. You know, it's funny though to me to think of people paying thousands of dollars to fly from around the world to get here to our city and see our balloon fiesta, and then we look at Google Maps here in Albuquerque and we're like, nine miles? I ain't got time for that, you know? I don't want to battle the traffic, I gotta get up early, you know, it's going to cost you, what, $30 to see the balloon fiesta? You're like, man, I, that just, that's not on the budget. I just don't. You know, and so we just, we kind of like, it's, 
It's the danger of the reality that the, the more you're around something, the easier it is to lose the awe. Now, there's nothing wrong with losing the awe of balloons, okay? I'm not here to rebuke you for that. But I am here to warn you tonight and, and a reminder to myself that it can be detrimental to your faith if you lose your awe of God. And the more you're around it, the more... The more you're a part of a church that faithfully teaches God's word, you can just get into a rhythm of thinking, this is just how it is. And we can lose the awe of it. And when God speaks loud and clear, as loud as it might be, as clear as he might make it, if we are not actively fighting our forgetfulness, we can lose it. We can forget it. And so I want to talk to you tonight from Genesis chapter 12, the life of Abram. I'm sharing a message tonight that I'm calling Altered State of Mind. And that's not a spelling error on the screen. A-L-T-A-R. We're going to look at some altars tonight. And not only are we going to look at some biblical altars, but we're going to break normal Wednesday night protocol about halfway through the message. And we're going to build some of our own altars. So I hope you brought a pen and a paper or a phone I guarantee you brought a phone, and we're going to take some notes and kind of just search our souls, search our hearts for some ways that God has spoken to us, and I want to just share tonight about how important this is as we look at these altars and then build some of our own. Now, before we dive into Genesis chapter 12, let me give you just kind of like a, some, some quick context. I know we're kind of parachuting into Abram's story. So just some quick context. If you don't know the story of Abram, he grew up in a pagan land. In fact, his name, Abram, was a pagan name. It meant exalted father. It had to do with the deity that his family worshipped. And so God one day called him out of that into a whole new land. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, verse 4, Abram departed. He obeyed immediately as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said, to your descendants... I will give this land. Now, stop right there for a moment. We got to highlight that a land promise is big to anybody at any time. My family and I, we've been searching for our own land, our own property for the first 10 months of our time here in Albuquerque, and it's been difficult that with the housing market. It's a big deal for you to have your own space to inhabit. So God shows up after Abram has been called out of every place that he knows and the people that he's familiar with into the land that God is going to show him. And God says, I'm going to give you this land. But he doesn't just say, I'm going to give you the land. He says, I'm going to give your descendants this land. It was a big enough promise that he had been promised land. 
But listen, for God to promise land to the descendants of a 75-year-old man who still didn't have any kids and was married to a barren woman, that's next-level promise. Abram wanted to make sure he didn't forget that, so look at what he does at the end of verse 7. There he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. I want to give you four thoughts tonight, if you're taking notes, about altars. Number one, altars help us fight forgetfulness. We're all prone to this. This was a uh, very significant appearance, a very significant promise. In fact, this is uh, the first time in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 12, that it's recorded that God appeared. He showed up to somebody outside of the Garden of Eden. God shows up to Abram. And so this was significant all on its own. And then, of course, the promise. But Abram was self-aware enough to know that although this was a massive appearance and promise from the Lord, if he wasn't fighting actively against his forgetfulness, he could either downplay this experience or eventually forget it altogether. And he wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. And I think if we are all honest, the same is true for all of us. No matter how loud or clear God may speak, if we're not intentionally fighting against our forgetfulness, we can forget as well. All of us, come on, I'm not going to make you raise your hand if you have a bad memory, because we all do at some level, right? I just turned 38 last year, last, see, I can't even remember, my own birthday. <laughs> last week, I just turned 38. And I'm feeling the process of aging. I feel like more and more. Um, m maybe you've, you've forgotten things like your keys or your phone. Um, I, I tease my wife all the time with this because we're leaving the house and she's like, oh no, I, I forgot my phone. And I'm like, no, you didn't. It's in your purse. I promise it's in your purse. Come on, any married couples, you know what I'm talking about? No, it's, no honey, it's, it's not in my purse. I know that I left it on the counter. She's digging through her, oh yeah, there it is. It's in my purse. I lose my keys. I, I lose my phone. Anybody ever just like walk into the room and you're like, I know I came in here for something. And I, I feel like it was important, but it must not have been. Uh, I, I one time forgot. I was looking for my sunglasses. I couldn't find them. They were on my forehead. Anybody else on that? Yeah, so it's, it's easier than we would like to admit to, that we forget things. I'm not proud of it, but I one time forgot my daughter at church on Father's Day. <laughs> After I had challenged all of the fathers to be present and show up in the lives of your kids. And then I got in my car and I left. And there she was, still at church. I'm not proud of it, but I did it. This is a safe place of confession, right? We can forget stuff. I mean, think about September 11th. Isn't the banner statement, never forget? I remember seeing that on bumper stickers years after 9-11, thinking, well, isn't that obvious that we would never forget that? But now that we're 20 years past, isn't it becoming a more and more faint memory? And if we don't continue to educate the upcoming generations, they're going to think, well, maybe that actually never even happened. We can't afford 
to forget, especially spiritually speaking, when God intervenes in our lives, we can't afford to forget. And so Abram does what we all need to do because without altars, we can forget. If we don't actively fight against our own forgetfulness, we can begin to forget these these incredible moments when God intervenes. Now, obviously, Old Testament altars are a little bit different than maybe how we would build altars today. In fact, here's a, we're going to put a picture up on the screen of what it might have looked like, a, a clay or stone altar in Abraham's day. When I talk about our need to build altars, I'm obviously not talking about building stones in the back of your yard unless that's something that you really feel like you need to do. But altars for us take on a lot of different forms, but they're no less important. I brought a few examples of some altars with me. Um, When our church turned 10 years old in Tennessee, I decided a a way to build an altar was to write a book. I wrote a book uh, to kind of commemorate these first 10 years of church planting. I wanted to make sure that not only did I remember all of the amazing ways that God showed up and intervened and answered prayer, but I wanted there to be future generations that knew that God was still in the business of doing miracles and answering prayers. So we built an altar called a book. Or or maybe for you, and this is how it takes on practical application for me every day, these are some of my journals. I don't know if you're a journaler. I wasn't until we moved to Tennessee and I started realizing, man, I got to write down what's going on. My my wife has been journaling since she was 12 years old. Um, We just went to our storage unit uh, just the other day and we were digging around in boxes, finding books, and I pulled out some of my old journals. And it's amazing when you look back because it's like, it's literally now after years of journaling, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of pages chronicling life, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the times where God intervened. And what what you would read in these pages, if I ever let you crack these open, is plenty of doubt as well. Questions, fear, insecurity. This is just the reality of of life. And so I I chronicled, we've we've been chronicling these things. This is an altar. This book is an altar. Um, my wife, if you don't know Jen, she's a, a gifted songwriter and worship leader. Just at the beginning of, of this year, she released her first album. Music outlets call it an album. We call it an altar. She titled the album Letting Go, and it was recorded and written. These songs were birthed in a season of us learning to let go of something we loved so much. So even to this day, when we hear those songs, it's an altar to us, stacked up stones reminding us of God's faithfulness in a difficult season. She and I have both have a a, a couple different tattoos that remind us of God's faithfulness when we endured a couple miscarriages. We have three kids on earth and two waiting for us in heaven, and we never want to forget them. And so those are altars that we've built to make sure we never forget the way God carried us through a season in our our lives. And so obviously altars in our day, what I'm talking about building our own altars, take on these maybe different forms than a a clay or a stone stacked, you know, stacked together. But, But the idea is they're no less important. And I guess what I'm getting at is Whatever form it takes in your life, journal it, write it, sing it, draw it, but whatever you do, don't forget it. 
If God intervened in your life, if God answered a prayer, if God showed up in some way, you got to record it because you'll forget it. And if you forget it, the next generation will never know. And maybe the way God intervened in your life wasn't just for you. Have you ever thought of that? So maybe the altar building isn't just for you. How many times do you read in the Old Testament of God, God said, build a monument? So that way, when your kids see the stones, they'll ask, hey, Dad, what's that all about? Oh, let me tell you this story. Right? How many altars do you have built? Altars help us fight forgetfulness. And this is what Abram was doing here. God intervened. God showed up. He spoke. And Abram said, man, I know I could forget this. I don't want to forget it. So he built an altar. Here's a second thought about altars. Would you write this down? Altars infuse us with endurance. So this was significant for Abram, and, and he didn't even know it in the moment, by the way. But God had just appeared to him. We, we read this in verse 7, to your descendants I will give this land. I mean, that's a real quick promise, but it was massive. It was life-changing. To your descendants I will give this land. Abram didn't even know how much he would need that altar. And one of the reasons I think it's easy for us to forget, or, or maybe better put, one of the reasons that we need altars so much is that because oftentimes God's promises are not fulfilled immediately. So when, when God said, I'll give your descendants this land, I, I, I already told you this is a two-part promise, that he would even have descendants, and then that they would inherit the land. This would take way longer than Abram ever wanted it to take. In fact, at one point, he tried to take it into his own hands and got himself in trouble. He received this promise as a 75-year-old man, and he wouldn't have a son, the promised son, until he was 100 years old, 25 years later. And if you think that's a long time, Think about how long it took for his descendants to actually inherit the land of Canaan. Almost 700 years later is when Joshua would finally lead the nation of Israel across the flooding Jordan River and begin to conquer the land. Almost 700 years later. In fact, Abram never actually owned any of the promised land except for his family's burial plots. He was just kind of passing through. He lived in tents in the, in the area, this land that God would eventually give to his family. So, you know, we need altars because God's promises often involve what we hate, waiting. Don't we hate it? I was in a waiting room on Monday, and I waited for way too long. We have entire rooms dedicated to what we hate the waiting room. Go in there and wait. When, when will it be over? Good luck. I don't even know. Just go wait. And so what, what we're doing is we're constantly inventing new ways to speed things up and have to wait less. So we came up with the microwave, right? Put it in there and in just a few seconds, you'll have hot food. Or we came up with the Pop-Tart. It takes, what, 15 seconds and you can have what is disguised as breakfast, you know? Um, Overnight shipping, I, that's amazing to me that I could order something in New York and it could be at my doorstep tomorrow. 
Now, I got to pay for it, but if I don't want to wait for it, then that can happen. Just a, a, a couple years ago, I remember I ordered some batteries from Amazon, thinking they'll show up in a couple days. Three hours later, they were on my doorstep, and it kind of freaked me out. Like, I'm, all, I'm here for it, but how did you do that? I'm Jeff Bezos, can, I, can we talk? Because I'm not sure how you worked all that out. That's incredible. And now we've got, they're, they're working on Amazon Prime Air that will take a drone and fly it to your house in 30 minutes or less. Now, how many of you guys have had pizza delivered and it took more than 30 minutes and you're like, come on, I, I don't have time to wait all night, you know? They just made your food and brought it to your house. I've complained about the Wi-Fi on an, air, on an airplane before because I just don't like to wait. I, I read a recent study that said if a video, they were talking about YouTube or wherever you might stream videos, if a video doesn't start playing within the first two seconds, viewers start leaving. They're like, I ain't got time for this. We got to get this thing rolling, right? Like three seconds in, I'm exhausted already. I just don't, I can't sit here all night long. We just, we hate waiting for things. But spiritually speaking, I can promise you there will be waiting. In fact, when it comes to God's plan for your life, there's, there are very few things that I could actually guarantee you with God's, with, of what God is going to do in you. When it comes to God's plan for your life, there are very few guarantees, except for at least this one. It's going to take way longer than you want it to take. It's pretty much a guarantee. Because God's timeline, isn't it so much different than ours? And so what is so beautiful about the altar, here's Abram building an altar, is that he didn't even realize how much he was going to need the endurance that was infused in his soul by just building the altar and visually being reminded that God did speak, God did show up, God did make a promise, and I believe he can fulfill it even if I'm an old man, even if I'm looking at, at my body and my circumstances and it seems impossible. I remember the altar. I remember the moment. I remember when God spoke. I remember that God said he would, and I believe he will. He's the God of the promise. And so he built the altar, and he didn't even know in the moment how hard it would be, how he would fail, how he would question. So thank God he built the altar. But I've just, I'm learning. I haven't completed this test yet, but I'm learning that the endurance that we need for the future is most often found by intentionally remembering God's faithfulness in the past. And if you're going to keep going, if you're going to keep trusting, if you're going to keep moving forward in what God has called you to, you're going to have to regularly revisit the moments that God showed up and spoke and intervened and answered prayer and showed off how faithful he was. And so Abram built an altar. Thank God he did because he would need it. Here's a third thought about altars. Altars help us become intentional worshipers. Here's, here's the way that this works with, with altars. So far, the first altar in verse 7 was a response from Abram to God. 
But in verse 8, we read about a second altar he builds that isn't a response to God, but it's Abram reaching out to God. Both are important. Verse 8, it says, He moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So sometimes an altar is an opportunity for us to respond. God has already reached out. But other times, like verse 8, it's us reaching out to God. And both altars are important. And so altars help us be intentional with our worship. In fact, I would say if there's one thing our worship cannot afford, it's for us to be passive when it comes to worship. In fact, I've learned in my own life, personal lesson here, that passivity, spiritual passivity, kills my intimacy with God. If I'm just hoping that I have time to be with God day by day, turns out I'm not going to just find the time. Anybody else struggle with that? Like, surely today, I mean, my, I looked at my calendar, it looks pretty clear, I'll bet later on today I'll have some time. Turns out you probably won't have some time. Doesn't life have a way of just filling up your calendar real quickly? This is why I'm an advocate of give God your first and your best time. You're like, I'm not a morning person. Try becoming a morning person, okay? Now listen, I'm not saying God's only awake and listening in the morning. I'm just saying oftentimes, if you don't start your day with it, you're not going to find it some other time. We've got to be intentional with our worship. Abram here wasn't just going to wait around for God to show up again and hope that he had an experience. No, at the next place he moved, he built an altar because that's what worshipers do. They worship God. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. That's what we do. If we call ourselves Christians, we abide in Christ. It's just what we do. It's not something that we passively hope we have time for. I meet way too many Christians who just kind of take this, they don't take this real seriously. They're just waiting around, and I think, it's, I think it's so important for us to be intentional with our worship. I mean, ask anybody with a spouse or a friend that a relationship takes work, doesn't it? You got to be active. You got to be working on building a relationship. Jen and I, uh, we're celebrating 18 years of marriage uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, thanks. I'm going clap for her, really. Um, she's the one that's done the work. About, uh, so about 19 years ago, last month, was the, the 19th anniversary of our very first date. And so we decided we're going to, like, relive the first date. So we went back to the very same Dion's, Wyoming and Academy, that we went to on our very first date. And we ordered the exact same order, pepperoni and green chili, because we're good New Mexicans, right? And we sat in, the, the table's gone now, but we sat in the same area in Dion's, and we just kind of like relived the moment. And then we went to a few different spaces that we visited in that, on that first date when we were just getting to know each other. And it was funny. I, we got to Dion's, and I'm like standing at the, the checkout place and I'm placing my order and I was just all excited to be in the moment and so I told the cashier I was like this is so fun being here because 19 years ago today she and I went on our very first date here and 
You know, it's just like so fun to be here. And the cashier was like, not super interested, but kind of like patronized me a little bit. She was like, oh yeah, really? So has anything changed in 19 years? And I was like, has anything changed? I mean, I was like, I mean, since then we've had three kids and we moved across the country. And she's like, no, no, no. Did anything change about Dion's in the last 19 years? And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> looks, looks about the same, tastes the same. Thank you for caring about our moment. <laughs> A successful marriage happens because you're intentionally pursuing one another. A successful friendship happens because you're intentionally talking with one another, reaching out to each other, not just waiting around hoping that you have time. So why do, we, why do we treat our relationship with God any different? Why do we just wait around hoping that we have time? It takes work. It takes intentionality. I love Abram's example here. He built an altar when God reached out, and he built an altar when he wanted to reach out to God. He was intentional, not just passive, not just hoping this would, he would have time. He made sure that he made time for it. You won't have time. you got to make time. Does getting time with God, come on, you can show your hands. Does getting time with God on a day-to-day basis ever feel like a battle to anybody? That's because it is. It is a battle. The devil is terrified by a Christian who actually daily is pursuing God. So man, you want to ruin the devil's day, get up in the morning and forget everything else and get in God's word. Come on, get off Facebook and get in the book. We got to intentionally spend some time with the Lord. Like you're not just going to have time. You got to make time. And Abram sets that example for us. If you've met somebody who knows God who knows God intimately, who prays powerfully, who knows God's word in and out, guess what? They didn't get that way by accident. They didn't go to bed like sleeping with the Bible under their pillow and it just somehow osmosis went into their brain. That's not how it works. When you meet somebody who knows the Lord, that's because for years they've been walking with God and giving God the first and the best and reaching out. And when they feel like God isn't there, they're still showing up because they know God is there and they're actively searching for God and they're reaching out. They're being intentional with their time. Abram sets that example for us. You know, I've I've often thought, how, how many of you guys... Have ever had like, you found like some of your most genius ideas come to you while you're in the shower? And like, well, like, what's that all about? I, I read a news article the other day about like some amazing inventions that have come to somebody while they're in the shower. You know, here's my theory, as funny as it sounds, my theory is that the shower now, especially because of the smartphone, the shower is one of the only places left where nobody else is, and we can't even have our phones, although now they're waterproof, so maybe that's out the door. I don't know. And so you're, you're left alone with literally only you and your thoughts. So, so here's my thought. Yeah, it's scary for some people, right? You're like, I just got to play some music. I got to do something. I, I, I can't just... And so some of, our, some of our best ideas come in the shower because of that. You're just left with your thoughts. Well, here's my thought on that. Why should those moments 
be only for the shower? What if we were intentional with daily carving out some time away from everybody else with technology in the other room, with the TV off, just our Bibles open and our hearts open? Because you know what I've found is that when I get in God's word, God's word gets in me and it begins to transform me. And I may not understand all of it, I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible and I, every time when I'm reading through it, there's something that I'm like, I did not remember that being in there. Also, I don't understand that. But I keep going and I keep plowing because I just want to get to know God more. And I'm just wondering, like, imagine the dreams that God could plant in your heart. Imagine the prayers that God could answer in your life if you intentionally carved out time to be a worshiper. Day by day. I'm not just going to hope that I have time for God, but I'm going to make time for I'm going to build a little altar here, and I'm going to reach out to God. And when God intervenes, I'm going to build another altar and, and remind myself of the moments that God reached out to me. But I'm going to be a worshiper. And you know what I love so much about Abram building altars is that he left worship in his wake. Like you could have followed him through the promised land. Abram was here. Abram was here. How do you know? Because the altars. He's a worshiper. I'm wondering if people followed the way that you live, would they find worship in your wake? Are you leaving a pathway of worship? When you show up, do you make the place better? Not because of you, but because of who's in you. Because you're a worshiper. Abram was intentional with this. And he carved out time. Now, speaking of carving time, I want to break normal Wednesday night protocol here for a moment. And I want to take just a couple moments. I told you you're going to need a pen and a paper or a phone, something to write on. And I want to take a few moments for us right here to build some altars. Not of clay and stone, but I'm going to just invite you here in the next couple minutes. We're going to, I'm going to give you like two or three minutes and we don't have time to write paragraphs, but I just want to give you an opportunity to hit pause in the middle of this message and with some bullet points, remind yourself, go back and say, how has God intervened in my life? What are some things I could build an altar about in my life? So it's going to get real quiet here, awkwardly quiet. We're going to take like two or three minutes. And I just want to encourage you, right where you are, write some bullet points. I'll put some examples on the screen of some ways that this might play out in your life. But these could be answered prayers. Moments that God showed up, spoke in your life. Maybe it's healing that God brought into your life, into your family. Maybe it's a, a prodigal son or daughter that's come home. I want you to take a couple moments Whatever it might be, hit some bullet points. I'm going to do it with you. We're going to build some altars, and then we'll finish up this message.
course, you can feel free to keep writing. As the Lord brings things to your mind, I, I just encourage you to write them down. And I hope that this would become an exercise that you don't just do because a pastor on Wednesday night told you to do it, but that this becomes eventually just kind of a regular rhythm in your life. Why, why would we build an altar and worship? Because we're worshipers. And we want to be people who remind ourselves of the way that God has intervened. I don't know about you, but as I just sat and wrote, I could have kept writing. Like maybe for hours of the ways, if I kept thinking about all the different times, ways that God has in intervened in my life. Some may seem small, some may seem big, but I just want to encourage you to get into a regular rhythm of remembering and actively fighting against your forgetfulness. And, and I'm leading into maybe one of the bigger reasons that it's so important. Because what I imagine we've all found as a follower of Jesus is that obedience comes with obstacles, doesn't it? Because you're going to hit hard times. The reality is we're not here to, to candy coat the truth. We want you to be followers of Jesus, but following Jesus gets challenging. You're going to feel lonely. You're going to doubt it all. You're going to, there, there's going to be so many challenges that, you're face, that you face simply because you are a follower of Jesus. Abram even faced challenges. In fact, if we had time to keep reading in Genesis chapter 12, the second half of Genesis 12, after Abram has set this amazing example of us of being a worshiper, well, he gets in trouble in the second half of Genesis chapter 12. And he gets, he arrives to the promised land that God told him to go to right in time for famine to hit, of course. Famine in any day is challenging, but especially in Abram's day. Food was gone. So instead of trusting God in the land that God had called him to, he did what we're all tempted to do and what he did multiple times in his life. And he took matters into his own hands and he left the place where he was supposed to be and went to the land of plenty, Egypt, where he thought, well, maybe if God's not going to take care of me here, I'll go take care of us there. So he went to Egypt. He got in trouble in Egypt. Out of fear of the Egyptians, he lied about the identity of his wife. He eventually got caught in the lie. He got rebuked by the pagan king. And the end of Genesis chapter 12 has him leaving Egypt and going back. And we pick up in chapter 13. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And if you're wondering, why do we build altars? Here's the fourth thought about an altar. Altars, write this down, altars double as anchors. Write that down, altars double as anchors. Verse 3, it says, He went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and I, to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Did you catch that in verse 3? Where his tent had been at the beginning. Verse 4, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. This is what we might like to, what we might say is Abram went back to square one. 
And that's typically, I mean, you, you know if you use the phrase back to square one, typically is used in a negative sense. In fact, I, I looked up the definition and it basically means going back to the beginning with no progress having been made. Back to square one. I imagine for Abram and the, the, the people that came with him, they viewed going back to, to this place as failure. Like, man, we should have never left, and here we are, and we started, and it started good, and now they're circled back. And verse 3 and 4 tell us they're right back to where they had been at the beginning. They're at the altar, which they made there at the first. But I guess maybe what I came here to remind you tonight is to not be afraid of going back to square one. Like, maybe it's not always a negative thing. Maybe, in fact, what I'm learning is that oftentimes you, you have to go back so you can go forward. Sure, Abram made some mistakes, and we're all going to make some mistakes along the way, but, you know, revisiting our altars can accelerate our for forward progress. So here's Abram. He's made this full circle. He stepped out in faith, and he got to the land of promise, and he built an altar. And then he moved to another spot and he built an altar to reach out to the Lord. And then he got in trouble. He went to a place he should have never been. And we're all prone to do that, by the way. We shouldn't just rag on Abram. When things get tough, a lot of times we seek relief from the pain by running from where we need to be. But I would say that it's safer to be in the land of promise in a famine than in a land of disobedience. If God's told you to go to the land of promise and there's a famine, trust God that if he got you to it, he's going to get you through it. He's, he's the God of the promise. Amen? And so Abram should have never left. Now he comes back. And here he is back at the altar which he had made there at the first. You never know how God will use your worship in the moment to anchor you in the future. Here's Abram, just, you know, however much time has lapsed here, building an altar, having no idea what would come after that and how much he would need that altar. In fact, he might have needed that altar later more than he needed it then in the moment. But because he was faithful in building it in the moment, it was there. It was present when he needed it the most. Maybe you've heard the Chinese proverb about the tree, the best time to plant a tree. It goes that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. But the second best time to plant a tree is right now. Come on, let's put that in our context. The best time to build an altar was the last time God showed up and spoke. But the second best time to do it is right now. Because had you done it then... Wouldn't you be benefiting from the altar now? But if you do it now, who knows how God might use it in your future? So will you be faithful to build it now, even when you may not see the significance or you think for sure I'll never forget this moment or, man, God showed up, showed up so powerfully, how could I ever overlook this or downplay that, but build the altar anyway. Your worship in the moment might be the anchor you need in years to come. Here we are, 
my family and I, at Calvary Church Albuquerque. In some ways, we're back to square one. But I don't mean that in a negative sense. God's brought us full circle. We set out in obedience from the land where all of our family and everything we knew was. And we went to Tennessee and we planted a church. We thought for sure that's where we were going to always end up. And then it turns out our assignment was complete earlier than we thought in Tennessee. So God brought us back. And we've, we've circled back now. And we're now back to a significant place here where God has spoken to us, where God has intervened in our lives, where God trained us up in ministry and prepared us for whatever the future holds. I used to come here as a guest speaker, and now I'm back on staff as one of the pastors here. I've been teaching the Bible since I was 16 for over 20 years of my life weekly. Did you know that this is the first time that I've spoken at church since Christmas Eve last year? It's the longest time in my life that I've gone, in most of my life that I've gone without teaching. And it's been challenging, but we are glad to know that we are right where we're supposed to be, back at the place where we were at first. Full circle. I'd be lying if I said it it hasn't been difficult. But normally the things that are worth doing are challenging, right? And the life of obedience isn't about building a life of comfort. It's about pursuing Jesus and staying steadfast no matter what comes your way. And so here's Abram. He's circled back around. And here we are. We've circled back around. And I guess maybe the question for us to ponder tonight is, I'm wondering how many of you might be struggling with some forward movement. Have you considered, maybe before I just try to like stuff the pain and run forward anyway, maybe I need to just like hit pause and go backwards a little bit. Maybe I need to just like slow down, take a day off and just breathe a little bit and revisit because I'll bet if you just hit pause and think, you'll begin to see some areas that have God's fingerprints in your past. Ways that God has worked behind the scenes. Moments that God has shown up and spoken. I wonder if you would just take a minute to go back if eventually God would use that to propel you forward. So here's what I thought we would do to end our, our time together tonight. We're not going to rush out. In fact, I kind of built this into the, our, our time together tonight. Um, here in just a moment, the band's going to come out, but we're not just going to do like a short chorus and verse and then be gone for the night. I asked them to, to sing a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And it's an invitation for those who are broken and weary to just come to Jesus. To just like bring whatever you have, whatever you're struggling with, your questions. Or maybe you're right now on just like a mountaintop, mountain peak. Good. Come to Jesus with those things. And here's what we're going to do as the band plays. We're going to have our decision team over here in the corners. And some of our pastors, they're going to be available and I, I would love to just create a space where you have the freedom to just come with whatever is weighing you down, whatever is 
breaking in your life and come to the altar. Like literally, if this is the altar, if that's the altar, come and we'll have people that just want to talk and pray. We're going to take just about five minutes as the band plays and we're going to just worship together because this is what worshipers do. And I don't know the season of life that you may find yourself in, but I can just tell you that whatever you're facing, God's good in the middle of whatever feels bad in your life. Amen? And so I hope that tonight would just be a time where we get to build some altars. And we say, you know, maybe tonight is a, is a time where you write down and ponder some ways that God has intervened in your life. Or maybe tonight is a time where you just say, God, I, I need to reach out to you. Whatever that looks like in your life as the band plays, I want to encourage you to come as you are with whatever it might be. And we'll, we'll have some people available to pray. Or maybe you just need to turn around in your chair right there and kneel. Maybe you need to lift up your hands or sing at the top of your voice or just sit and read scripture, whatever it might be. We don't have a long time for this, but I just figured as we sing this final song, let's not rush out, but let's be intentional with our worship. Life will catch up to us, all right? So let's take these next few moments and remind ourselves. We're not gonna wait around hoping we remember how good God is. Let's remind ourselves. Let's pray, and then we're gonna do just that. Jesus, here in these moments, I pray you'd speak. I pray, Lord, you would remind us of specific ways you've intervened, words you've spoken to us, miracles you've performed, families that have been reunited, marriages that have been restored. God, I pray you'd remind us of that. Lord, I pray for anybody in this place that is broken and weary that they would come to you. And Lord, I I especially pray for anybody joining online or here in this place that does not know you. They can't really look back on their life and think of a whole bunch of ways where you've intervened because up until this moment, maybe they didn't even realize you were real. And now today, you've brought them to the reality that you are real and active in their lives. I pray in these moments, they would choose to put their faith in you. So God, whatever it is that's weighing us down, whatever it is that's broken in our lives, I pray these next few moments would be opportunities for us to build an altar and remind ourselves of how faithful you have been. God, I believe as we build altars faithfully now, in the future, it will propel us even further. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness. Forgive us for our faithlessness and help us to be worshipers and altar builders, altering our minds to match your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna close with this song. This is your opportunity. Our decision team is gonna come up to the front. Our pastors will be available at the front. We'd love to talk with you. If you wanna stand, sit, kneel, whatever you do, this is a song of response. Let's respond to the faithfulness of our, our God.
Thank you so much for worshiping with us. These altars are open. So feel free to come down. We'll have people here available. But be blessed and be safe. We love you. We're praying for you. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.